that ability to change the speed, the pace, all those are very, very attractive to traditional businesses. And so people are thinking outside of their own business and reaching out and saying, I want to learn from how other people do this. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development as businesses aim for long-term success. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sofion CTO. If you're looking for additional information around new product development or corporate innovation, sign up for Sofian's newsletter where we share news and industry best practices monthly. The fastest way to do this is to go to sofian.com that's S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com and click the sign up and stay informed box. Welcome everybody. Beautiful sunny day here in Arvada, Colorado. I'm glad you could join us. Our guest today is Greg Kotikia. Greg is the president of Sofian, but he has a really great background. Over 30 years experience in tech and tech products and tech services. So before he joined Sofian, he created and launched Carnegie Mellon University's master program in product management. It was the world's first product management degree, and he was its founding executive director. But that's not all. Earlier, before that, he really is a serial entrepreneur. He was participating in 14 startups. He actually founded four of them. Been an executive in various size organizations from zero all the way up to more than a billion in revenue. He's been in venture capital, having raised $73 million in that channel, and he's actively participated in over 17 mergers and acquisitions. So he's been CEO four times, president, COO, and he's been involved in, responsible for the launch of over 100 products and solutions. So he's well-versed in innovation. He's a graduate of the University of Pittsburgh in industrial engineering, and he also got his MBA there. And he teaches several courses, including B2B marketing at the University of Pittsburgh Katz School of Business. Greg was named as a finalist three times for the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award and for the Tech 50 CEO of the Year. It gives me great, great pleasure to welcome Greg to this podcast. You can hear from his background. He's going to be just really fun to listen to. Greg, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Paul. How are you? Wow, that was quite the introduction. I, <laughs> I only wish my parents had been here to hear it. My uh, my father had been proud. My mother would have believed it, as they say. You know, I, I was impressed with, with all that myself. Yeah. And I forgot to mention, you have a book published, don't oh, you? Oh, well, and it is, that, it is quite the book. Start your startup right. Run out, folks. Hurry up. Go to Amazon. Buy your copy now before they run out. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, <laughs> when did you write that book, Greg? About three years ago. And I, I used my own methodology, my time-bounding methodology of writing a post. I challenged myself to write a post on LinkedIn each week. Through that challenge, I was able to get the basis of the book and weave all those stories and lectures and all kinds of other things that I wrote about all together. And it was a great way of, of having a little sprint each each week and uh, produce wow. something of value. So that was my that was the way I was able to get it done. That's incredible. I've talked to people who have written books. It's no small task at all. So hats off to you. You've that's a really great story. Thanks for sharing that. So uh, great background, uh, Greg. What exciting things are you working on right now? 
Well, as you know, and as you said in the introduction, I am, I've joined Sofion, and I couldn't think of a better place to match what I've done and what you very nicely described in my career of putting my energy and experience to work. You know, Sofion is dedicated to helping companies with innovation management and the challenges of innovation in a wide variety of industries people that we impact, the companies that we touch and make a difference for in the marketplace are some of the world's largest companies. And all of them have great innovation challenges. And what's fascinating for me, Paul, is even though I've anchored a lot of my career as an entrepreneur in early stage companies, you know, the principles that each and every one of these companies talks about intersects of my background and career, they're reading the same books, they're, they're focusing on the same tools. Uh, many of them have, you know, <laughs> they're reading Eric Ries and Lean Startup, they're using Alexander Osterwalder and the Business Model Canvas. You know, it, the intersection between entrepreneurship, innovation, and product management is actually stunning to me. And so while there are some differences, there's more overlap than people think there is. And so bringing all that energy and experience and thought to help our customers here at Sofion meet their challenges is really what I've been up to. And it's been a great ride as I'm, I'm entering in my, my first six months. So Paul, the honeymoon's over. So now I got, now I got to get to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure with that background, that experience that you have, that the company will certainly benefit from that. It, it's, you know, it sounds like innovation has been something you've been involved in for a long time. Did that just, did just just happen? You just kind of snuck into innovation or how, how did you get first involved in, in the whole area? Well, you know, uh, <laughs> necessity is the mother of invention. I was a young, as you described, I was a young industrial engineer. I can still visualize myself sitting as I was about to graduate with a degree in industrial engineering with some friends and fraternity brothers on the roof of our fraternity house, drinking beer as the, we were about to graduate <laughs> and saying to myself, what am I going to do with an industrial engineering degree? <laughs> <laughs> That's the last thing I want to do is have a clipboard and do time and measurement, time measurement studies and optimized factory floor layouts. <laughs> So, you know, I went into sales and as I tell people, my mother cried for about six months because I came from a family of engineers and I was like, oh my God, he went into sales. I guess he couldn't get a job in <laughs> engineering. He wasn't that smart, but I like sales. I love sales actually. And I love carrying a bag and I love learning about, you know, in many ways, because I was selling really technical high-end process control products. I, I, I really got close with customers and you became more of a problem solver than a salesperson. At least that's how I framed it in my, in my own mind. But I also got great training with, you know, how to, how to interact with customers. But that led me to answer your question more directly, Paul, that led me to a desire to be a product manager. And my first product management job was actually at a startup because as a salesperson with an engineering degree, they were, you know, I wasn't very well accepted as a product manager. Most product managers still today come from a, a technology engineering development side of the world, not a sales side. So and that's how I ended up in startups too. And I ended up working on my first product, which was a machine vision product in the mid 1980s at a robotics startup. 
And I just love the idea of this new market, a new category, new technology, you know, the idea of innovating, even in, you know, robots were not certainly not a mature marketplace, but we were building, you know, we were building eyes for robots, you know, in the, in the mid to late 1980s. And you can just imagine the technology we got to work with and, and the things we got to learn and the impact that you could quite frankly make with customers. And so I fell in love with innovation right away. I fell in love with new product development right, right away. And, you know, I think there was a lot of things going on in the world at that time, too. There was a lot of great products. We were going through the PC revolution and the Macintosh was being introduced and all kinds of other technologies were happening. And I think that that era of time also was very exciting. And I got caught up in all that. And, uh, and, and you know, once that bug hits you, I, I, you know, it's like a drug. It just never, you know, the, the, the ability to produce a product that makes an impact on a marketplace, I think is about as exciting as it gets in business. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, well, well said, Greg. You know, I think it's fascinating that you started in sales or I always say to people in your career, you should, if you can get into sales because it does teach you a whole bunch of things that you just don't get to learn if you're in other parts of the business and it's dealing with customers, it's dealing with variety, it's dealing with spontaneity. And it sounds like you experienced all that and we're able to bring that forward into your career. Salespeople, as we know, are, are, are uh, much criticized or easy to criticize. And it's one of the most challenging, difficult jobs there is. And, you know, I, an old boss of mine, I use it as my own saying, used to, used to tell me all the time, hey, Greg, there's only two problems in business, not enough sales and everything else. And uh, <laughs> and the more you learn about business, the more you realize that's true. So that it's fits. a rough yes, job. That fits. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you think about that journey that you just shared with us, do you have any? Is there any particular success story that that uh, you'd like to share? Sure. I uh, you know I think early on, one of the reasons I dedicated my career to innovation, product management, entrepreneurship, new product development, all, you know, all the above <laughs> is I had an incredible success early in my career. It didn't start off as success. Like a lot of things that started out as a, as, as in some ways a huge failure. And I, after I had been working with the robotics machine vision technology, a really close friend of mine who was an incredible hardware engineer. Russ Schwears, I can still remember his name. I remember Russ throwing a Wall Street Journal at me one day and saying, uh, you know, IBM is bringing out this new mainframe and uh, there's a company in town that that makes software for mainframes and you want to go work for them. And I'm like, you're trying to get rid of me, Russ. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, look, and I remember this is the, he says, the future is software. You got to be in software. This is a hardware guy telling me this. Long story short, I went to work for a company in Pittsburgh called Duquesne Systems. Duquesne Systems at the time was maybe a five or $5 million company going on onto its way to 11. And it was gonna go public at that level, believe it or not, on this, wow. on this new market called NASDAQ. That everyone was like, <laughs> that, is that trustworthy? Can I trade stock on that? <laughs> <laughs> I was given the operations, the data center operation tool set to manage. Early on in that product line, we had a great product line of utilities, classic system utilities, it allowed you to share disk drives or tape drives and 
console messages for mainframes and all the stuff like that really provided unique value. But we wanted to move more into higher end problems and operations. One of those areas was automation. Data center automation was becoming big and I got it right away because I had been in factory automation and process control and it was like, wow, okay, the same problems that we had there are happening over here now. And so in some ways, because I was in a different marketplace, I got to be able to see it, you know, peek at the future, what was going to happen in data center because it was operating on a different time, time scale, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, yeah, totally. And we built a product in that area and we, we made all the mistakes. We, we were in the bottom left-hand quadrant of Gartner when we announced it, Paul. And I think for those listeners <laughs> who uh, know the Gartner magic quadrant and, and, you know, when you're in that bottom left, you know, you put an X over the door, man. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't execute. You've got no vision. Yeah, we, right. were, we were bad. We had screwed up in terms of defining the product, the functionality, we mispriced the product. We couldn't compete. It was a DOA, you know, it was just a, it was a mess. But yet, you know, I was able to work through that and convince management to continue the investment. They tried to kill the project. I had to convince salespeople to sell it, even though none of them wanted to sell it after launch. <laughs> Long story short, we worked through all those issues. Three, maybe four years later, that product was in the upper right-hand quadrant of Gartner, we had actually made that significant of change. And I, it was an incredible journey. You know, we don't have time today to go through all the details, but it was an incredible journey. Uh, we became the market leader. That product eventually became a $100 million a year software product. And for those of you who know how hard it is to get to a $100 million software product, to, you know, to go from that level of, uh, of nightmarish launch to that level of prestige and, and recognition by Gartner and other players and major customers, it was quite a journey. It was very heady. And so that's a long-winded answer to like what got me hooked. The problem with that, <laughs> the problem with that is you, you think that you can do that over and over again and it's not that easy. <laughs> that's hard yeah, to and everybody, it's, not, it's not that easy. <laughs> everybody expects you're gonna do it again. Yep, yeah, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Yeah, you know, but uh, this heart, take heart there for all of us who've been in or are in, uh, if you're in that lower left quadrant, there's a way out of it. I think that's a great story. Don't give up and uh, focus and, and come out of it. I think that's a, that's a great story because uh, Gartner's a little intimidating, that, that magic there, quadrant. There. Is, uh, you know, we, we got, I remember when we crossed over a million in sales and, you know, we had a handful of salespeople and then we got our lighthouse customers and, and then we started to realize it, it, it just was an incredible journey. And uh, yeah. it's probably the best, it, it probably the, I, I would say there's a handful of products and all the products I dealt with, but that's still the one that it taught me so much about innovation, new categories, launching products, everything. It was, it was just a wonderful experience. Yeah, that's great. You'll have that for, for the rest of your life, I'm sure. Well, Greg, you know, clearly you've come from a, a software background and have a, had a lot of success. What would you say has been the impact of software on product innovation? I know that's a changing landscape, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it amazes me having been in the mainframe software business to go through all these changes of, you know, client server, <laughs> you remember all this stuff, Paul, uh, two tier, three tier, you know, to, to internet, to cloud enabled, to, 
<laughs> all the different generations. And then it amazes me how software that was very CIO data centric, you know, data center centric is now, you know, it touches so much of what we do and how we do it. I mean, I was sharing with our consumer packaged goods expert in, in Sofion yesterday that, you know, Procter & Gamble had announced a new Febreze air freshener, one of the ones that you plug in. And it actually has a semiconductor, you know, chipboard that measures the, you know, when you need to change it, change it out. They announced it so that the scent stays constant during the lifetime of the of the vial of, of scent that you put in the in it, right? And that's all software controlled. And 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 here we are in 2021, and you think, wow, I was starting with, you know, people sharing disk drives on a mainframe, and here you have your Febreze. <laughs> your Febreze air. Yes. So software has really just impacted. And what amazes me, particularly in the last 10 years, and since the particularly the missive by uh, Mark Andreessen, who founded Netscape and now runs a venture capital firm in 2011, wrote, Why Software is Eating the World. It's hard to believe that that is 10 years old and, and that that has only continued. We see the impact of software in all of our marketplaces. You know, Amazon is a software company in many ways, right? Uh, Netflix is a software company. These are all, you know, digital uh, companies, you know, even though they're dealing with mixed media physical product. And so it's not only just software that tools that they're using and software that they're embedding in their products, but it's also software methodologies in terms of project management, in terms of how they're building things. So we see the impact of Agile, which started with, you know, 17 software developers in a ski resort in Utah, you know, writing how you should build better software. And how <laughs> everybody is, uh, everybody wants to be Agile, right? Regardless of what industry you're in. So the impact of software cannot be underestimated. Um, and, you know, a lot of it has to do with, it's a product that you can build once it has high margins, it's highly scalable, highly repeatable. So it's a very attractive business to be in and the cost of entry and ability to move quickly is afforded by software. There's so many things that software allows you know, even traditional companies to do. So it's been a surprising journey though. I would have never bet on this in the eighties that it would be this pervasive. Yeah, who, who could imagine that an air freshener someday would have software in it? Really, that's, that's just an amazing story. And I think that certainly those companies that make those products have had to figure it out or are figuring it out, what to do with the software and how to bring it together. It's it's a it's a change that the whole industry is going through. But to hear you tie it back to the early days of software was just software, and now it's 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 so much more. I don't know if you've been reading Greg. This whole in the automotive industry right now, they cannot get the chips, and so the whole ability to manufacture automobiles is having to slow down because there's not enough chips yeah. because they need the software on, on the cars. Yeah. I remember doing a presentation back in, um, oh, probably early nineties, maybe mid nineties. Cause I was working for an embedded software company called Tartan Labs. We made, and don't, don't chuckle. We made uh, C plus and ADA compilers hey. for digital <laughs> signal processing chips made by TI. But one of the things is we were doing on our on our journey was broadening that out to a whole development environment. And there were players like Wind River and other people in those spaces in those days. But you could even see back then, Paul, that 
you know, I remember talking about local area networks being in your automobile. And I, I remember doing presentations and people would chuckle and say, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> well, what is Tesla? It's a computer, right? It's not, a, it yeah. just happens to be imitating a car, but it's really a computer that has, you know, wheels and, uh, and a steering wheel and everything else. And the, 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 our, our definition of what the product is, has fundamentally changed as a result. Yeah, 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 that's for sure. Well, if you go through that, Greg, is there is there one key learning or piece of advice you'd give to someone who's trying to innovate or develop a new product now? Yeah, you know, I go back to one example. There's a, there's a lot, right? That's a great question, by the way. But one of the ones that I, again, was an early lesson that I, when speaking of my data center automation is, you have to respect subject matter experts and domain expertise. I get that, but don't, you know, Tom Peters, the, the old management guru, used to talk about management by walking around, getting him out of the office, reading about, reading from different industries. You can learn a lot by getting out of your business. You know, you take a look at that example I mentioned earlier, Paul. I don't believe that I would have been or the team would have been as successful with the data center automation definition of our product, the messaging, our go-to-market, all the things that we eventually implemented in that automation product. If I had not been in factory and manufacturing automation, the lessons that I learned there, while not 100% applicable, were actually, I would say, a good 80% applicable. As much as those industries would tell you, oh, there's, there's nothing about you know, a manufacturing line that's similar to a data center operations. What are you, crazy? There, actually was a lot, <laughs> there was actually a lot more similar than what you thought. And you can learn from other industries and each vertical changes at different times. And so look outside your business for how other segments are changing and how they've interpreted impact of innovation. And you can use that as a competitive advantage and build that into your innovation. You can be the market leader, minimize risk, maximize your ability to succeed by learning from others. You know, I, I'm from Pittsburgh and we have this guy, Mike Tomlin, who runs the Steelers. And I'm often, you know, he I think he's been to two, maybe even three Super Bowls. He hasn't won them all. I think he's won maybe one or two, but he's been successful and he's got an incredible success track record. And, you know, the guy's never played a down of professional football, which goes to show you that you can learn a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> be incredibly successful and not be, you know, he wasn't the greatest quarterback of all time. He wasn't the best defensive lineman. He didn't even play pro football, right? His college football was not even division one A. So don't dismiss people because they're, or dismiss other industries quickly. Listen, actively listen, learn from them. I think that's one of the biggest lessons. Oh, that's fantastic. It reminds me of a, my own experience. About maybe 10, 15 years ago, we were doing a trade show in Europe at an event, and this group of Italians walk up and they asked us about what we were doing. Of course, we were, we were promoting new product development and innovation and, and tooling that can help do that, be more successful, something other than project management. And this group of people wanted to find out more, and they, they said, uh, hey, we'd like you to We'd like to come visit us. We'd like to explore this a bit more. And it was really, like you said, they were they were reaching far out of their industry. And they handed me their business card. And it turns out it was the Formula One division of Ferrari. Ah. And so we got to go to Marinello and check out 
the actual factory where they make the race cars and meet with those folks. And they were just sure they, the whole purpose was say, look, we don't do project. We build a race car, but it is a very complex vehicle with a lot of interdependencies. And we'd like to learn how other people with other products deal with those kind of problems just to uh, see if there's any opportunity for us to be better. And it was the most amazing experience to, you know, it's a very secretive uh, operation. And it was just fantastic to be able to, to see that a leader in innovation like that, totally unrelated to the type of innovation that, that we might be familiar with is benchmarking and looking at other areas, other companies to try to learn from. Sure they are. Sure they are. And this is why we see, going back to your other question, I, th I think not only is software as a technology interesting for, for companies that are not software companies for a variety of business reasons, but the methodologies are also attractive to companies. And that ability to change the speed, the pace, all those are very, very attractive to traditional businesses. And so that's why, that's a great story, by the way. I mean, it just goes to show you that when people are thinking outside of their own business and reaching out and saying, I want to learn from how other people do this, that's when some great ideas, I mean, it goes back to, you know, another story that I like to tell people like the Mike Tomlin story was you probably, Paul, or, or maybe some of the listeners to this podcast remember Lou Gerstner, who was named the CEO of IBM when it was going through probably its most troubled time of its life. And people ridiculed him because he had worked at, I think his previous company was Nabisco or Art. Nabisco. Oh. Yes, it was. And, yep. and they, yep. uh, they would say, oh, well, you know what, what kind of chips does this guy know about? You know? <laughs> well, you know, it turns out that Lou Gerstner is a pretty smart business guy. And he actually knew a lot more about what IBM needed. And actually, it probably put it on its road to recovery and the success and uh, stability it has today. It may not exist in the form it was today. It was definitely going to a, you know, sell off the assets type model under the existing management. So don't dismiss other industries' knowledge, you know, and, and it goes the other way, by the way, too. Uh, software companies can learn a lot from how physical companies build products and build supply chains and market products. There's a lot to be learned there that software companies are ignorant about. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great subject. We should explore that at some point, maybe in a, in a future session with you. That'd be great. great. I think another one is, is culture. So I, I remember, I just remember it now, the Ferrari group, when you worked there, you had to back in to the parking place. You had to back into your parking spot. You were not allowed to pull head on in. Why? Because it was all about thinking speed, being ready to move. Everything they did it was cleanliness and speed. Those were the two things that I walked away saying, wow, that's what these guys live and breathe every day. And so, yeah, it's Amazing. great stuff. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Greg, has there any been anything interesting news around innovation that you've recently seen? News around innovation, you know, I think that we are, because of the, the COVID crisis, the pandemic around the world, there is a lot of pent up energy uh, about what's going to happen next. A friend of mine actually had sent me an article that talked about what happened after World War I and the pandemic, the, what was labeled the Spanish flu in the late 1918-1919 timeframe. And of course, that moved our way into the roaring 20s, where we ended up with quite a lot of innovation and new ways of trying things. 
I think people have been, and companies in a lot of ways, have been on hold and cooped up as a result of the pandemic and the COVID-19 crisis. I think not only is this question how we were doing business prior, so we see things, you know, certainly everyone's work, you know, working from home or, you know, the changes that we've made in our lifestyles, but I think it's going to open up new ways of thinking moving forward, not just a return to normal or how things were, not just incorporating, you know, what we've learned in this time period, this year and a half or two years, however long this will last, but also exploring ways because we're questioning the assumptions of which we've lived. And when you do that, you're going to come up with why do we why do we do things like this? Why do we why do we build these things? Why aren't we doing these things, right? You know, where people probably didn't question those assumptions before, you know, it was much easier to do things by habit and turn the crank. So I think the world for innovation is going to be very bright post-COVID. We're almost there. You know, I'm a I'm an optimist, so I believe we're you know, while there is some big roadblocks ahead here in this crisis, yet we are turning the corner between vaccination and those that have been impacted already by COVID. And I think the reopening of the world is going to lead itself to different ways of thinking about things. We also just have another generation of people coming to work. And I think the, that they bring their value in cultures, which is different than uh, the current generation. And that that combination of those two things I believe, brings a, a brighter world of innovation for all of us. You know, I think <laughs> that's great. I, we were kind of forced to be creative when the, when everything shut down about a year ago, right? And we're forced to Correct. think different, work different. There was a whole innovation that has to happen, a level of innovation that had to happen to just, just keep going. And the consumer demand, I mean, I talk to people, they, they can't wait to travel. They can't wait to go to restaurants. They can't wait to go to movies. They can't wait. They got money. They want to spend it. They can't wait to get, it's, it's going to be a huge bubble yeah. <laughs> of driven by consumers. Yeah. And it's another great opportunity for tremendous creativity and innovation now to even just prepare for it. And then it's just going to be a wild roller coaster for a bit while we go through that bubble. So it's going to be a great time. It's going to be fun to be in business, I think. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm very optimistic about how this, what, what's going to be created post, uh, post the pandemic. And I do agree with you. I think there's going to be things that we just can't foresee, just like we didn't foresee how uh, working from home or, you know, working from anywhere as people, some people are doing <laughs> Uh, yeah, it can can impact businesses. Yeah, 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 that's for sure. You know, a closing question I would have for you, Greg, is you know, thinking of your industry, the place you spe you you play in right now, where do you see it being in, let's say, five years from now? Yeah, for me, I see some of the same transitions happening. I I think our our business is more impacted by the impact of software tools and methodologies impacting our traditional physical product companies, which we serve. So I think we're going to be serving those companies and how they build products. And I think that's a huge challenge. And it has been going on in, in a variety of areas, uh, you know, smart devices and Internet of Things devices. But I you know, in some ways, you know, we're we're like at 1997 internet for those types of devices in the world today. So we are really just getting started. I mean, that Febreze air freshener is just an example. I would say probably 99% of the products that are made by Procter & Gamble don't look like that. But five years from now, maybe 30% of the products look like that, right? 
So yeah. that's that's going to be an, an enormous impact and change. I think also helping people, you know, product management is a key, certainly experience and love of mine, but I can see more of that intersection of innovation and product management as product management has matured in many verticals and industries and really touches upon and that handoff between innovation and product management or even intersection is going to be become more prominent. So I think that is another significant change in terms of uh, connection. You know, people are still looking, though, in innovation for some things that are similar to the past. They're looking for better collaboration tools. They're looking for that single source of truth. I think those constants are not going to change. People are still wanting that. How we deliver that, though, Paul, as a vendor is going to change, right? And so that's a challenge for us as a company to continue to deliver value on that challenge that our customers will continue to have. Thanks for sharing that, Greg. That was very insightful. It'll be fun to watch. Watch you go through that and the listeners can can kind of keep an eye on you. And, and you know, I'd encourage everybody to go out and get the book uh, if you're a startup and we'll look for, for your next book. Greg, when you've when you've uh, lived through those five years and and you're right about that change, uh, maybe not. <laughs> I got another one in me, Paul. I'm going to write another one somewhere. <laughs> good, 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 good. Yeah. Well, Greg, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. It's just been a been a thrill. You've got a great attitude, a great background, great experience, and I uh, hope you'll come back on the show again. Hey, well, Paul, thanks for hosting me. Thanks for doing this. I hope all your listeners got some value out of it, and I look forward to, to speaking with you and I hope connecting with your listeners in the future. Thank you. Great. Have a good day, Greg. Thanks. Take care, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.